0: Our scripture reading today comes from the Gospel of John, the 20th chapter. I'll be reading verses 24 through 29 from the Common English Bible. Hear now these words. Thomas, the one called Didymus, one of the twelve, wasn't with the disciples when Jesus came. The The other disciples told him, We've seen the Lord. But he replied, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands... Put my finger in the wounds left by the nails, and put my hand into his side, I won't believe. After eight days, his disciples were again in a house, and Thomas was with them. Even though the doors were locked, Jesus entered and stood among them. He said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. Look at my hands. Put your hand into my side. No more disbelief. Believe. Thomas responded to Jesus, my Lord and my God. Jesus replied, do you believe because you see me? Happy are those who don't see and yet believe. For the word of God in scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us, thanks be to God. Amen.
1: The first doubt that I had with my faith was a relatively small one. I was in the third or fourth grade at my church's Sunday school class, and we were learning about Jonah and the whale, right? And even though uh, years later I would learn in seminary that the author of Jonah didn't intend for us to understand that story literally, uh, the teacher of my Sunday school class certainly did. And as a kid, like, I was learning about anatomy at at home at the time, or at school at the time, and, you know, I knew that stomachs were full of stomach acid. And I was like, you know, did this guy really get swallowed by a whale and then vomit? it up like three days later? Like that, I don't know, like that was my first little doubt, right? Um, I had another doubt in my faith a few years later when um, summer after seventh grade, my cousins who had my entire life lived not more than a mile away from my house, they were like a brother and sister to me. A divorce in their family meant that they were moving two states away, and I remember sitting there in my doubts and my questions and my wonderings and, and maybe literally shaking a fist at God and saying, why? Why would my family apart in this way? And then a bigger doubt when I was in college and there were street preachers that were saying horrendous things. And I had a lot of Christian friends who were going to these very conservative uh, churches in town and, and they were telling me things unless your friends go to these kinds of churches, unless they're the right kind of Christian, they're all going to hell. And all of a sudden, I was looking at half of my friends who either weren't that type of Christian or maybe didn't have any faith at all or something in between, and I thought to myself, can I believe in Jesus and also not have to believe that half my friends are going straight to hell? These doubts get bigger over time. The biggest doubt that I have ever faced was uh, was a few years ago, before Reagan and I had Andy, and we were going through a few years of infertility. And if you know that path, you know how painful it can be. And I think about the awkward, numerous doctor visits and the, the oh, we have some more bad news. And those awkward nights and those painful mornings and hearing my wife cry in the bathroom and sitting. In bed and wondering, God, why would you place this calling upon our hearts to be parents and then why don't our bodies work in the way that we wish that they would? That's a big doubt. Maybe you've had doubts like these. Sometimes they're small. Sometimes they grow. Sometimes they can be huge, if not even overwhelming burdens in our lives. They can be the fault lines in our faith. And as Christians, sometimes we're given this message that doubting is bad. Doubting is sinful. Good Christians don't doubt. Jesus tells us to not doubt, right? Well, here are Scriptures like the one that Pastor Kathy just read, one that we're going to be looking at this morning, the story of Thomas. And the message will be told is this, just believe, don't ask questions. But the question isn't it isn't whether or not we will doubt, it's When? and how and what will we doubt? And so, as those who seek to follow in the footsteps of Jesus, who seek to live and love more like Jesus, what do we do with our doubts? That's the question we're going to talk about today. What do we do with our doubts in the life of faith? Because I think doubts are just a reality, and if we aren't aware of the in our own life, and our own faith, if we can't name one doubt that we're holding right now in this moment, then we're probably just not being honest with ourselves. So, let's talk about doubts. Let's talk about Thomas, one of the disciples. Pastor Kathy just read the Scripture for us a moment ago. We're going to look at that Scripture closer in just a moment, but I want to paint a, a bigger picture of who Thomas was, because we all remember Thomas these days as what? Doubting Thomas right? Doubting Thomas. What a wonderful moniker that he gets to live with for all of eternity, one of the original twelve, right? Um, Thomas was so much more than a doubter, and yet that's how we understand him. In fact, if you've never cracked open the Bible in your life, you've probably heard the phrase, Doubting Thomas. That's what we call someone who will only believe something once they've seen it with their own two eyes or touched it with their own two hands. But Thomas was a lot more than that in John's gospel. Backing up to John chapter 11, this was the moment when Jesus decided he wanted to go uh, to a land in Judea and and heal and resurrect his friend named Lazarus who had died. Now, Thomas knew what the disciples knew, what Jesus knew, which is that the land they were going to was a hostile territory. They would not be met kindly there, potentially. In fact, they could have been met with some harm. And so, Thomas is this hilarious mix in this story of both brave and pessimistic as he says this let us go with Jesus so that we may too die with Him. Isn't that weird to say, yeah, we should go with you, Jesus, because we're all going to die. Like, that is a wonderful capture of who Thomas was. Do you know someone like that? Are you a Thomas in your life? And then later in John chapter 14, we see Thomas again, and this time Jesus is with His disciples and He's teaching He's trying to tell them about why he's here and the work that he's about. He's using this metaphor of a house, and he says, I'm going to go to my father's house, and there I'm going to prepare many rooms for you and, like, Sometimes Jesus' metaphors are, are so cryptic that the disciples get very lost in them, and they're not sure what he's talking about. And this is definitely one of those moments. And I can imagine Thomas is sitting in the room, and he's scanning the eyes of the other disciples, like, do any of you understand what he's talking about right now? And then he also probably thinks, but none of you are brave enough to say anything. So he just opens his mouth and basically says, this is the Pastor Scott translation, Jesus, what the heck are you talking about? Like, I love that. I love that Thomas has this sort of inner spunk and courage to just say, like, I'm just going to say it. We're all thinking it. I'm just going to say it. Jesus, you are not making sense. We love you, dude, but we don't know what you are on about. So, there's a lot of words that we could use to describe Thomas. Thomas is brave. He's cynical, pessimistic, skeptical, honest, faithful, loyal, questioning, curious, And all of these qualities seem to ultimately lead him to this moment of doubt, perhaps too simple a term to capture the cynical brand of wonder that Thomas has when he's met with the news of the resurrected Christ. Like wonder, his doubts will lead him to a greater depth of faith in ways that he cannot possibly imagine. So, let's take a closer look at his story together. It says, Thomas, the one called Didymus, which means twin, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So, Jesus is resurrected following uh, the crucifixion. You know, this is the Easter story, right? Jesus comes in the resurrected form, and all the disciples see Him except for Thomas. The other disciples come and tell Thomas, we have seen the Lord, right? This is the Easter message, hallelujah, right? Thomas has no hallelujahs. But he replied, unless I see the nail marks in his hands, put my finger in the wounds left by the nails, and put my hand into his side, because Jesus had been speared as a part of his crucifixion, he says, I won't believe. Unless I see the nail marks, put my finger in the wound, put my hand into his side, I will not believe. You know, as we consider who Thomas was, it's important to consider what Thomas has seen up to this point and why he might react the way that he does. Thomas has seen Jesus resurrect somebody back from the dead, right? Into new life. He watched this with his own eyes with Lazarus. He also saw Jesus being taken into custody, shackled, and, and with the disciples, he stood and did nothing. Did Thomas feel guilt? Did he try to step forward, but Peter pushed him back? He watches Jesus end up crucified. He watches him die. He watches him die. He sees it with his own two eyes. And now he's being told, Jesus is back. The Lord is with us. And he's probably thinking, now wait a second. I don't need some nice thought about Jesus. I don't want Jesus resurrected in spirit. And he's alive in all of us. No, Thomas says, if Jesus is alive, show me he's alive. I need to know that Jesus is actually alive. I want to see the wounds. I want to touch his hands. I want to touch his side because if that's not real, if Jesus isn't real, if the resurrection isn't real for Jesus, it might not be real for me. I know the power he had. I have to know that he still has that power. So Thomas offers no hallelujahs. He doesn't jump up and down and sing songs of praise. He simply offers his doubt his burning curiosity, his longing to see God made real. My friends, sometimes all that we have for God is our doubts, and that is okay. The gospel truth is that sometimes, like Thomas, we don't have shouts of hallelujah, we don't have songs of praise, we don't have feet for dancing, all we have is to offer God, and that is okay. The reason I know that it's okay is because, in my experience, most people's doubts are not a question of trying to make God smaller or less real, but rather, like Thomas, it's born of a desire to make God bigger and more real in our lives and the lives of others. You know, notice the theological implications of what Thomas is asking for. He wants to see the bodily resurrection of Christ. Now, ironically, doubting Thomas is the one disciple who gives us the greatest evidence for this, like, center pole orthodox belief, the bodily resurrection of Jesus. We have doubting Thomas to thank for this, right? But more than that, Thomas needs to know that if the body is real and if the wounds are real… And that Jesus that Thomas knew before and put all his faith in is the Jesus who is alive today. And that God understands what it means to walk in our world, to suffer in our pain, and to transcend this experience. It's okay to put a foot down and to say, God, I need to know that you are bigger than this, that your heart hurts in the way that mine does, that you bear the wounds of this world in the way that I and the people I love do. It is okay In fact, I believe it is a holy thing, a sacred thing to offer those kinds of doubts to God. We keep reading, and it says this. After eight days, Jesus' disciples were again in a house, and Thomas was with them. Even though the doors were locked, it says Jesus entered in and stood among them. He just like showed up, right? And then in pure comical fashion, Jesus says, peace be with you. Like, okay, Jesus, you can't just like show up like that and then say, everyone calm down, you know? And then he says to Thomas, put your finger here. Are you picturing this? He walks right up to Thomas. He holds out his hand. Put your finger here. Look at my hands. Put your hand in my side. And then he says this, no more disbelief. Believe. Believe. Now, I want to talk about this scene for a second. No more disbelief. Believe. It's a wonderful translation of a phrase that in other versions of the Bible, you might see the phrase, you know, Thomas, don't doubt. Sometimes it sounds like Jesus is is, um, uh, wagging a finger at Thomas for having ever questioned anything, but that's not really what he's saying. In the the Greek, in the way this text was originally written, it says, Meginu apistos alapistos. Did you hear those two words, apistos and pistos? Pistos means faith. Apistos means like unfaith. It's just sort of the negative inverse of faith. Pistos, apistos. So, Jesus isn't telling Thomas, don't doubt, don't question, don't have these like, wonderful curiosities, don't have these put your foot in the ground moments and say, God, become real for me, please. All he's saying is, Thomas, don't walk down the path of unfaith, stop unfaithing and try faithing in the midst of your doubts. Another thing that we need to remember is that Jesus does this, he says this after he's met Thomas in this moment of unbelief after he's offered him his hands, after he's offered him his side, after he's met him in every question, every curiosity, every doubt, Jesus offers this statement, this command. My friends, doubt is not the opposite of faith. Doubt is often a catalyst for faith. It's been proven true in my life. I wonder if it's proven true in your life as well. Doubt is not the opposite of faith. Doubt is so often a catalyst for faith. Christ invites us invites our doubts to draw near, and offers to meet us precisely where we are, even if where we are is uncertain or even unfaithful. Where did we ever get the notion that asking tough questions or offering critical critique of faith were were some incompatible qualities for Christians, right? Where did we ever get that idea? Imagine how the story could have gone. If that's the kind of faith that God wants us to have, here's how the Scripture would read… Thomas says, I need to see his hands, and I need to see the hole in his side. And Jesus shows up, boom, and he shoots laser beams out of his eyes and annihilates Thomas in the moment and says, behold, the wrath of God. And all the disciples said, yes, yes, laser beams for the unbeliever. That's not the way the story goes. That's the way the story could have gone. Thomas could have been met with judgment, with annihilation, with excommunication. He wasn't. His doubts were met with grace, met with truth. Met with love? That's the scripture. That's the gospel. Here at AUMC, we are a biblical church, my friends. And that means that we take doubt seriously. And we see it as the fertile field where faith can flourish. We take doubt seriously. We see it as the fertile field. So then Thomas responds and he says, my Lord and my God. Now this is one of those blink and you'll miss it moments in scripture, but this is incredibly important in the gospel narrative of John. My Lord and my God. This is not the first time someone has called Jesus Lord, kurios in Greek, but it is the first time that someone has called Jesus God, theos. My Lord and my God, kurios and theos. Thomas understands something about Jesus that nobody, not Peter, not any of the disciples, nobody had understood just how significant Jesus was until Thomas proclaims this after encountering the risen Christ. To claim that Jesus was God was saying more than he's Messiah, more than he is some spirit-filled prophet, more than he is a king. He is God, God's self, Curios and theos. The point is simple, but the point is important. The strongest faith in the Gospels is born out of doubt. This proclamation of Thomas's, it's the the final proclamation of the original Gospel of John. This is like that big shout it from the mountaintop moment. It comes born of this moment of doubt. The strongest faith in the Gospels is born out of doubt. And then Jesus replies to Thomas, do you believe because you see me? Happy are those, he says, who don't see and yet believe. And yeah, let's talk about that statement, because I imagine you may have heard someone pluck that right out of its context and say, see, Jesus says we're not supposed to ask questions. Jesus says we're a lot happier if we just shut up and believe it, right? Except what we're forgetting is that this statement would have come at the end of a spoken gospel, or at least towards the very end. You know, the gospels were not these things that were written down and put into a book originally. They were stories that were told by the disciples, each disciple had their own sort of version of how they would capture who Jesus was, and they would, they would go out into the Mediterranean and even into parts of modern-day Iran or modern-day Egypt and Ethiopia. They would go to all these places and tell people gathered there, new believers, folks who hadn't yet believed, and they would tell them about who Jesus was. And this may have been the way that, that this gospel originally ended. Happier those who don't see and yet believe, because the God's honest truth is those gathered there… They weren't going to see the risen Christ in the way that Thomas was able to. But just like Thomas is the one who had the boldest proclamation in response to the resurrection, Thomas also carries his story the furthest. And he's going to show Christ to a lot of people who didn't have the opportunity to see him in the flesh in this life. I mentioned that the disciples would travel all over the Mediterranean or Iran or Egypt or Ethiopia. Thomas went further than them all. We don't talk about this part of Thomas's story, but we should. Thomas went all the way to India, which I don't know if you have a map in front of you, but there's not a lot of water between Israel and India. So, that means walking on foot or on horseback or on camelback a long, long way. Thomas went further than anybody else because his faith was so strengthened by his season and moment of doubt and by Christ meeting him there. And so he would tell this story to folks who would only be able to see Jesus in Thomas's eyes, would only be able to hear his story through Thomas's lips. And today there's more than 50 million Christians in India. And you know what the name of almost all their churches are, is? The Church of St. Thomas. So maybe Thomas needs a little redemption in the way that we talk about him. And maybe doubting isn't the worst thing to be called. We hear the phrase, Doubting Thomas, like it's some knock, but I think in some ways, Thomas's doubting has led us and our Christian tradition to a much deeper and richer faith. Maybe doubting is a holy and sacred practice that can lead us in deeper and more profound ways than we could ever imagine. Maybe we can all find some Doubting Thomas within us. Maybe we can learn to love the Doubting Thomases amongst us and to see this not as a roadblock of asking tough questions that need not be asked, but instead of inviting God to be made real for us and for others. May our doubts invite God to be made real in our lives and in the lives of others. Thomas's doubts took him deep within his own soul and to the outer limits of his known world. I wonder how deep how far your doubts could carry you. Amen.